Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to Bring a Friend to Thrush and Treasure Day, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast that won't happen overnight, but it will happen eventually. And speaking of Evan, I'm not, but I am Aaron, and I'm joined as usual by the square rooter of Pi. But if you're feeling a bit saucy, you can call him Evan the Metal Man. How's it going? <laughs> square rooter of Pi. Yes. Oh, very good. Yes, thank you. That would be 1.77, <laughs> I believe. I don't know mass. Yeah, that's two puns in one. You're doing well. You need a job in, uh, like I said, Fox News, running their lower thirds. Oh, well. Some fucking job. Anyways, <laughs> guess what? What? We have a returning legendary diva in the studio today. And just like they say, once bitten, twice, you bring a virginal sacrifice with you. Because we have a second <laughs> diva in the sequel this week. In the blue corner, representing Team Musical, we caught a critically acclaimed creator, cabaret star, podcaster, and quaintly camp character actor who's also dabbled in directing whilst whittling away at writing, which whisked this whimsical wunderkind worldwide with his wonderful one-man shows, Paddy Issues, and Bad With Money. Plus, this perky little prodigious pod star has produced, performed, <laughs> plus proudly pointed directions for a plethora of productions and phenomenal performers that saw him sling a stick to Snoopy, which gave him the perspective he needed for the fabulous life of a size zero, which for some of us <laughs> isn't joy. <laughs> Unlike his highly acclaimed off-Broadway production. It's easy to see why this multifaceted artist was dragged through our torture chamber by the guest representative for Team Metal. In the red corner, she's a Broadway legend whose career took off in trousers before a bit of romance romance removed them. (laughs) (laughs) But granted this gorgeous gal her first Tony nomination, plus audiences have cried and all died whilst living for her heartbreaking vocals that have echoed across dozens of stages that saw this sultry chanteuse in Tartuffe before giving us a gander of her gimmick in Gypsy brought us to our knees in the Divine Sister, solved the mystery of Edward Drone, which unlocked the green heart-shaped door to the secret garden, and her second Tony nomination, where this singing sinner found herself in paradise lost. But luckily, a quarrel of sparrows in an oak tree that also housed a beehive enter laughing in masks outrageous and austere <laughs> and whilst the dedication given by this artiste is the stuff of dreams with numerous screen and audio appearances such as the owl word happy high maintenance well happy ish <laughs> gotham third watch law and order svu plus ace ventura the animated series it's no wonder this rebel found herself in grand theft auto iv which drives home a career that certainly isn't the dirtiest show in town but ours is. So please help me march a huge falsetti g'day and how's it going to this delicious duo as we welcome him to and her back to the torture chamber to the ultimate falsettos fanboy and host of Broken Records, Mr. Ben Rimmelauer and the OG trainer and very goddess mama of Thrash and Treasure because she's the ultimate Ramstein fangirl. It's Lady Alison Frazier. Yay, welcome to the torture chamber. Oh, no, Belle. Oh, shit. Oh, hang on. Sorry. Jesus. Oh my god. Okay. Anyways, I will be back. I'm so sorry about this. Oh god. Perhaps this dog's name is Chaos. Like <laughs> Chaos K for short. Hi, <laughs> Ben. How are you? Are you busy, busy, busy? 
I'm not so busy. I don't, I mean, I don't really want to be so busy again. Like, you know, isn't that the lesson of the pandemic to take long walks? I just want to go to Greece and, you know, drink ouzo. That sounds good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm into Greece. Let's do that. So did you see any of the Ramstein videos? Yes. Well, I watched the Ashes to Ashes and I was not into it, but I listened to, I shouldn't, I should save it for the pot, but I listened to the whole album. Yeah. You know, I like the ballads. I like Seaman. Seaman. Seaman is beautiful. And the interesting thing about that is that he's he's singing in a completely different range than he sings most of the other rock and roll. I'm glad you said that because I was like, it's got to be somebody else in the band. No, no, he's got a lovely voice. It's just they. they what a range! They thought that people really responded to uh, that bass sound because, like. Nobody, sing, yeah. Well, a few. There are a few bass rock and roll uh, lead singers, but usually you're listening to like Journey, Don't Stop Believing, or Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I like that better. Yeah, <laughs> we we wouldn't want falsettos being done by three basses. <laughs> March of the bass of profundos. <laughs> um, yeah, it's That's a challenge. One soprano against three tenors. Yikes. That was hard with no mics. <laughs> or I guess I'm a, a, a sort of a high alto. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. All I know is I can sing along with John Denver. So does that make me a man? I don't know. It makes you a full God. Key. That's what it makes you. There you go. That's what I love. And meanwhile, I just saw the Dolly Parton um, documentary. Um, is it my name? Oh, is how Dolly? is it? Oh my God, it's so good. Cause I had to audition to play her voice in an audio book and I wanted to get her in my head. And she has such a fascinating story. And you know, she's like an incredible businesswoman, first of all. And second, well, no, I guess, first of all, she's an incredible songwriter. She wrote, I will always love you. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. enough. You write, I will always love you. You never have to work again. But then you do. Know, Coat of many colors and candy colored Christmas. And oh, I just think she's something. Nine to five. Yeah, Jolene. Yeah, Jolene. But you know Here the you whole come again. world. You, you, we worked together on a couple of audiobooks, remember? Yeah, it's it's been a while. I don't, because they haven't brought me in for any freelance things um, in yeah. a couple of years. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I love doing that. Um, yeah. But uh, did, wait, did Dolly write a book? Uh, this is a children's book and it's adorable. How wonderful. Yeah, because, you know, she's really, really big into um, getting books into the hands of underprivileged kids. Yeah. Also, paying for COVID vaccine research. Thank yeah, you very much. I mean, spectacular. She's a great woman. Oh, we're talking about Dolly? Yes. <laughs> we're talking about Dolly Parton, yeah. Best. Absolutely. I'm so sorry about that. Aaron, you know, you got kind of a Freddie Mercury vibe going here. Thank you. Totally. Right? Freddie Mercury. Very dashing. Thank yeah. You. I actually have a date tonight. I oh, congratulations. A date. I hope it goes well. I'm actually sure. seeing Dune, so it's going to be two and a half hours. I don't know how I'm going to stay awake through that one. Just keep saying things like, I don't see what people see is so attractive about Timothy Chalumet. Just say things <laughs> like that. <laughs> I don't, because he reminds me of me. And I'm like, that's oh. not attractive. That's not true. But when you say it like Freddie Mercury, then I'm like, cool. Freddie Mercury. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. do that. Um, I, I like to say Walter White Jr., <laughs> we'll get on with the episode. So sorry about all that. How embarrassing. Is that Snoopy on your t-shirt? That is. Oh, I cute. always go somatic. And you might notice I got the movie 54 poster because obviously Love it. 54 below, I am now the one below 54. <laughs> You're below 54. <laughs> yeah, so I've had that since like 19. When did it come out? 1998? 98, yeah. I saw it in the theater, actually, I remember. 
Yeah, me too. And I'm fairly certain we're probably the only two people in the world. Uh, but anyways. Uh, okay, first off, I got to... Uh, did Alison warn you what you were getting yourself into with this show? Well, I listened to the episode with Daniel Franzesi. Okay, um, yeah. So I got a real a sense. And, and Alison gave me uh, a lowdown as well. Yeah, no, she was our um, very <laughs> first guest and will forever be our fairy goddess mama for this show. Yes. Alison is a fairy goddess to many, many, many uh, artists in all, all aspects of theatre and theatre-adjacent creative arts, I would say. Oh, I like that. Yes, well, thank you for making me not feel special now, Ben. We're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> no, Alison only only sponsors the, the best and brightest. That's right. I, I collect talent. Yes, yep. yes. Awesome. Now let's see how crazy your minds work. If you guys could pick your backstage rider, anything you want, what would you pick? I would tell Lindemann to be my personal massage therapist. That is spot on. <laughs> He's got very strong hands. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I want a, um, uh, a, steam, a steam shower. Like a like a steam room. Yeah, I could bring Tilla over. Exactly. Wonderful, Allison and I will share. You can use my steam room too. Uh, but anyway, so this week Allison chose the album again because we'll move on to metal. Rammstein's Herzlade. Am I saying it right? Herzlade. I don't. I'm not sure. Herzlade. I don't. It means heartbreak. I know that now. That much. oh, does it? Mm. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. I should have t- taken that into account when I wrote this review. Maybe. Um, oh, actually, no, that, that fits. That totally fits. So, Evan, yeah. how do you feel about Rammstein? Are you a, as big a fan as Alison is? Um, I have become one. You know, obviously, I, I was around when Duhast came out and, and just went gangbusters. Well, it was so big that even I had heard of it. Yes. Anyway, so I've written a quick review. It's only three pages this week, so everyone can relax. And um, we'll see what I thought of my second outing with Lindemann and the boys. When I first saw the cover, I had to wonder, are you making fun of me, Riz? Because, aw. <laughs> so I turned on the air conditioner and pressed play on the tiffied spo. And yet again, it's drama, mama. Dark, eclectically melodic, with a peppering of disco. This is our second outing with this shirtless German outfit, and I can't remember if they were this whimsical the first time around. However, this time, I also pinpointed why a troglodyte such as me in the world of metal is able to warm to Till Lindemann's creepy yet seductive fairy tale-ish voice. It's because he sounds like Shredder from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series, of which I had many figurines, and one of them was the shirtless shredder, which I still claimed turned me gay. (laughs) So listening to this sexy voice and thinking about Till in these early days, dressed as shredder from my toy collection, suddenly the air con is not enough. I needed an ice cold shower. (laughs) Ashes to ashes was catchy, but semen is where things got sticky. (laughs) And naming a song after themselves is very the metal monkeys or the Venga boys. Four stars. Four. It was like headbanging Cinderella at the disco ball. That's what it felt like. And I really dug it because there was so much drama and it was very eclectic and it was moody. And he just, that this is why he did, I guess, Hansel and Gretel because he's a fairy tale character. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I can totally see it now. And, And all I could picture was Shredder. 
<laughs> my my toy figurine shredder from like 1990 that had the cape but then it was shirtless and it just had like shoulder pads with spikes and it was like yeah yeah pretty pretty much is wasn't shredder a rat no that was splinter splinter i'm so sorry no that's all right he's my cousin <laughs> i want to see a picture you know maybe that's where tilgo does look <laughs> maybe yeah because it is very camp the timing works. Well, Rammstein uh, uh, was 1995. Uh, Rammstein was 1995. Herzlide was their first album. Yeah. Or Herzlide, however you pronounce it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's after the Ninja Turtles. The Ninja Turtles were the late 80s. Yeah. Says, yeah, 80, 84. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying I think he got his inspiration yeah. from Shredder. I'm sure he's got a costume like that. Yeah. Possibly, because um, the voice of it was, um, uh, he was the uncle on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and now he's... He died a couple of years ago. Oh my God, I can't remember his name. The damn cool on Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Not the new The OC remake. Yeah. <laughs> I knew Fresh Prince when he was just a rapper, but not, yeah. you know, not when Will Smith had the TV show. Oh, that There's was a great. new Fresh Prince now, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Why, why can't we get some new things? But, anyways, speaking of an old album, <laughs> you know, I really dug this one. I think I probably like this better than the one before, the last one we did. Oh. Well, the last one was Muta. And Muta, that was yes. much, that's a much darker one. And the interesting thing about Herzlite is that, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. No, that's exactly right. Let's just say, okay, Allison's pronouncing it Herzlite. So that's the way it is, okay? Yep. And uh, <laughs> it, it was their first album. And it was like, yep. the, the I, I think, didn't they coin a term for it? Neue Deutsche? You know, it's this is the new German rock and roll. And it was just such a breath of fresh air, you know? And and exactly what you were talking about, the wit, the humor, the... Uh, basically it sort of made heavy metal a little bit more acceptable to people that might have gone, oh, no, Judas Priest, no. But there's so much intelligence in Till's lyrics. I mean, his father was the poet laureate of East Germany. I mean, there is a background yes. there. Yeah. But it was just such a breath of fresh air in a very funky rock and roll theater. And uh, I, I just, I, I think they're incredibly theatrical. And uh, Ben, I would encourage you to watch more of their videos. I think Ashes to Ashes is the one you shouldn't have watched. It's it's yeah. the storytelling ones. I mean, there's one called, I think it's Sona, where there's a gigantic Snow White, and then Rammstein are the, the the seven dwarfs and they're like cuddling <laughs> with this giant woman they could basically go up inside her if they wanted to but they're all dressed uh like uh you know these oily dirty proletariat guys working in the coal mine oh really and you can't tell me that the people who put together Hades Town didn't go okay everybody in hell everybody looks like Ron. yeah 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 and they're hot as hell so to speak <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I, I agree there, and that that album cover was um off to a good start already. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was telling Ben the other day to tell to tell him what how I was describing the the Ramshin cover. Well, she said that they they all look gay and hot, <laughs> and one is less hot, but he's cute. But they're all straight, <laughs> and uh, they're all you know half naked, and and uh, nice. you know, I mean, like she said, now homoerotic. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a def it definitely I mean Hades Town is a great reference. I mean it very it definitely gave me that like industrial um it reminded me of the movie version of 1984. Right. Just mm. I just picture all those like factory elevators and like metal grates and like all that kind of stuff. Well, it's steampunk too. It's like a dirty steampunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's steampunk brought to the the modern age and like that big tall guy in hell in Hades Town that's so totally Lindemann in his totally 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 with the oil smears on their face and the dirt I I wouldn't know Alison I'm stuck in Melbourne Australia in the middle of a pandemic I bet there are some guys that look a lot like to Lindemann (laughs) every time I see like a great looking person on a movie screen oh yeah he's Australian Oh, that's right. Actually, I have to ask, how proud were you to see Ramstein take over Times Square recently with their big video? I haven't seen it. I've seen the videos, but I didn't know anything. I don't go into Times Square very often. I'm a Brooklynite. Yeah, now they posted online, they showed like a video of it that, you know, that big screen, I think it's... Uh, which one was it? Zeit or Deutsch? Was it the video Zeit? Z-E-I-T? The, the new video? Well, I have no idea, to be honest. I really okay. have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> it was something. And I was proud because we set out to infect Broadway with metal. And there was Rammstein on the big screen in the middle of Broadway. And I'm like, yes, Alison's going to love seeing that. And apparently you hadn't seen it. So yeah, it dropped about four or five days ago. And it's epic just amazing i'm gonna see that it'll, it'll be on their twitter okay uh, you know what i was in palm springs a week ago but it was fabulous do you do you work out there much Brent? i have uh never worked there but i've spent a lot of time there when i was growing up in la and i've been back recently yeah. on you know vacation also my son's getting married there in april Mazel tov. Mazel tov. Yeah, I, I sort of I find that so funny that they invited me onto their podcast before you. Because when I saw you pop up, I'm like, hang on a second, had you not been on there yet? And then I looked and you had it. I'm like, what? How <laughs> why would they invite me on there before? Like I'm a bitch. <laughs> Matt has a fun podcast called Back to the Movies with Ben and Nat, or Nat and Ben. Oh, wonderful. I got in trouble because I was talking about how, oh, no, Sondheim. And this was before Mr. Sondheim died. Yeah, it's it's not my favorite. I like Rammstein better. So I got in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, you know what? I I think Sondheim would respect that. He would certainly prefer that to uh, everybody kissing his ass, you know? There you go. Yeah. I mean, I think you can say whatever you want about Sondheim. He's so wildly acclaimed, so widely acclaimed, so widely, wildly acclaimed yeah. that, you know, we, I don't, anyone that would defend Sondheim is wasting their, uh, you know, you don't need to defend Sondheim. He will, the, the legacy is strong. You can, everybody has room for their own opinions about it, you know. You know, I have to say that um, when there were all those comparisons being made uh, at the time that falsettos became such a sort of cause celeb in what, 82, March of the Falsettos, um, because In Trousers took a, a while to get its really yeah. cool fan base. I mean, a lot yeah. of young kids love In Trousers now. But uh, I, I think that both Mr. Sondheim and Billy Finn were annoyed by the comparison. And I think they were both right to be because I think they're incredibly different. And I think what Billy did was, you know, dare I say, he almost did what Rammstein did with heavy metal. He made musical theater 
really modern and really, really headbangingly cool. I mean, when you compare some of the music, like this, it better come, this, it better come to it, this, 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 it better come to an end. I mean, if that ain't headbanging dance music, I don't know what it is. And if Starobin had had made had been told make this a a, a rock orchestration, yeah. you would hear it much more clearly. It's certainly the truth within yeah. trousers. And Billy wanted to be a uh, a rock star. Billy wanted to be like, uh, or a singer-songwriter. His idol was Randy Newman. That's how he started out. Yeah. How awesome. I had no idea. I so badly want to get him on this show. Anyways. Um... <laughs> hey, but are we, are we going to hear about what Ben thought about the album, Hair to Lie? That, that I'm dying to hear. Uh, well, I, you know, I didn't like it. I mean, I really don't. Uh, I get everything that Allison said, and I, I, and I got that when I was listening to it that, uh, well, first of all, I knew that if Allison liked it, it clearly had value, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's not just that she liked it. I mean, Allison has actually mentioned them to me before. I mean, she actually came on my podcast and talked about one of her favorite albums being another album of theirs, you know, favorite albums in the world um, of any genre. And so um, I knew that there was value here, even for someone who's not a fan of the style of music, but it is a barrier for me. You know, it's like, even like, I love the song Seaman. I thought it was so beautiful, but you know, it's like, there's these like uh, very like lyrical verses. And then there's just these like little brief, um, you know, crunchy instrumentals. And it already makes my stomach hurt when I hear that sound, you know? And, uh, you know, I can hear, through the lens of that sound that there is musical depth and richness and, um, you know, complicated things happening, but whatever, I don't need complication. Give me Katy Perry or Jerry Herman or something. I mean, I'm not such a fancy person. I, I just can't, I, I get really turned off by that kind of a sound, you know, and, um, and I, and I don't like the sound of, I couldn't believe that was also him singing in Seaman. I asked Allison if that was someone else in the band because I loved his voice in that upper, it's not even so upper, but that more, you know, more normal uh, register. But the, uh, that really basso, uh, well, I don't know. I guess, I guess I don't mind like an operatic bass, but the, um, but that, you know, it, I mean, it's a perfect voice for this music. It has that same crunchiness that the, um, that the electric guitar and electric bass have. And it's, um, and it just really uh, is such a turnoff for me. And it was so uh, present in all, in all the tracks basically. Um, but uh, you know, and I don't care how homoerotic it is. I'd rather hear a, a pretty Nazi ballad than a, than a hard rock, uh, you know, uh, grinding metal gay song. <laughs> Um, I'm mixing metaphors with the Nazis because they're German, but you know what I mean? Um, I, so I, you know, I tried, I tried, but I could, I, I, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy anything except, uh, Simon and even that had moments that took me out. I'm not going to stop trying. You keep trying. <laughs> I'm going to get you really drunk one night and make you watch the videos. That's all. Watch the videos. Yes. 
Well, you know, I will say though, that to be fair, uh, and not why, why there may be hope that you'll get me eventually is that <laughs> it, you're, you say that it's so theatrical and you're right. And the thing is like, I'm not always in the mood for theatricality, you know? I mean, it seems surprising because I'm such like a Broadway musical theater queen, but the truth is like most of the day, part of the reason I'm so in love with Allison is because I can listen to Allison's albums in the same mood that I'm listening to Katie Lang or Chet Baker or Ella Fitzgerald or, or, or um, you know, uh, Etta James or, 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 or Sarah Vaughn, you know, it's music. I don't have to like stop what I'm doing. You know, I, I look, I love Bill Finn. I first got exposed to Allison through March of the Falsettos, you know, but I have to be in a mood to put on musical theater, especially Bill Finn, you know, to be like, um, Jason, please see a psychiatrist. That's not what I want when I'm like just, you know, <laughs> cooking dinner or whatever most of the time. And, you know, and I also don't want Sweeney Todd or Hadestown or Hamilton when I'm cooking dinner. And just the same, I, I don't want this. That's not to say that there probably isn't some world where I could put on a video in the right mood or even go to a concert in the right mood and get, you know, the full, um, yeah. be open to, to, to being really moved by what this is. Yeah, the, the concert is pretty amazing because when he steps, when Till steps on stage, you think, you feel, Oh my goodness, there's a God in our presence. And it's it's because everybody is there. Every, everybody who's there loves him so much. You can actually feel that energy. But you know, maybe we could petition Till to do like, you know, an album of American songbook standards. What do you think? Listen, I'd, I'd be up for that. I would love to hear that. Yeah, you could Kern. He's got a curting voice surely that's beautiful in that seaman song I, I i'm flabbergasted that that's the same because i thought god can this be him and then i thought well if he's such a bass wouldn't he have to not to cross over into the other topic but wouldn't he have to be in more of a falsetto placement to sing in this other and yet he sounds so um he just has a really really wide range i guess well the cool thing is is that you watching the ev or listening to the evolution of his voice is really interesting because Herzlad, he'd only been singing for like a couple of years. He that, he was he did not consider himself a singer. He was a basket maker, you know. And then he got into the 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 rock and roll stuff over there. And they said, "Well, you be the singer." And uh, this, like this last album, the not the last one, the one before that, Deutschland has some amazing vocals on it. And it's interesting to hear how he has progressed. And they've been together now, what, 37 years? And then, yeah, they started it as your normal, a lot of bands start, they won a band contest um, and were then funded to you know, record their first demo. And then they, yeah, produced this. Yeah, so uh, yeah, after they won a, a local band contest, they were, they were funded enough money to record the demos and they sent their demos to different labels and then got picked up and, and recorded Herzlide, which has just changed a lot over the years sort of although you could argue they haven't changed a bit just it's full of comedy excellent musicianship his voice is deceivingly good as allison said um but yeah over the years they've released 29 singles and 26 of them were turned into music videos and usually i listen around if i haven't heard everything from a band it's full back catalog I'll, I'll try and pick a few albums i sat and listened to all of their albums start to finish and then i started on the music videos and i'm pretty sure i've watched all of them because they're incredible uh their, their first effort was 
quite a basic affair of just headshots and, and imagery. But the second video was um, oh, huge cosplay, like I said, steampunky, um, a lot of mechanical themes. Um, they have a vision for every music video that they put out um, and they just keep getting more elaborate and bigger budget uh, and longer. <laughs> There's influences of like Reservoir Dogs, Tarantino. Oh, I forgot the name of the other director they influenced. Um, there's, you know, bank heist. There's, I don't know how they got away with their Snow White video. Uh, how Disney didn't sue. Like they, I would have sworn they own the likeness of Snow White because they used it. Uh, and again, got in a lot of trouble with that one. I did that one didn't get banned. They get into trouble with their videos a lot. They love pushing buttons. They go out of their way to push boundaries. This watching video binge led me onto the video for pussy. It is basically porn. It is porn. They have porn stars committing porn. Um, and they've gone to the effort of using body doubles and putting their faces onto the actors. Yeah, they have girlfriends. They, they have wives and stuff. You know, they, uh, one of the wives apparently uh, turned up at the, the shoot for the video and he, he sent her home because this is not going to be pretty. They've made this video knowing full well it's never going to get aired on TV. A Russian man got charged with pornography distribution for sharing the video. Yes, that was actually an associate of um, is it Alexander Alexander Navalny, the Russian opposition leader who's been in jail and uh, poisoned by Putin. Uh, one of his associates and is an activist. Um, I don't know if he is serving three years, but he yeah he shared the uncensored. A uh, copy of that video and in russia you know that's distributing pornography because it is porn there's no getting around it it's not tongue-in-cheek it's porn i don't know they just love to push people's buttons and, and push the the boundaries and then they've done it again with the video for deutschland which was only two years ago 2019 um that got it pulled um from you know obviously russian tv but mtv as well um for the uh they, they're claiming anti-semitic you know it's just being kind of truthful about the war but you know you don't talk about the war this is a weird one where the and and this is the first time i've seen a video of a single has copped the album can no longer be viewed in the record shops when, when you still go into record shops some people still it can't be on view and you need to show proof of age in order to purchase it which has just made it so much more popular it's the usual thing if you try to restrict something and everyone wants a copy it's easily the most successful album it's mental the germans have just gone nuts over that album and then yeah they've dropped a new video this week which is easily their most epic yet it's a nine minute 22 second movie really uh it's incredible to what to look at it's so beautifully shot there's a lot of a high frame rate slow motion run backwards and it's just so beautiful to look at they love making incredible looking videos and so yeah i went through and i've listened to everything they did and i've watched every video as far as i know and again till linderman is uh, a bit of a marketing genius as well you know he's always got the image on i i couldn't find any photos of him you know <laughs> being normal I, he no, actually he dresses really stylishly in some of the promotional shots yeah. um but in marketing um he's actually launched a website called dr dick yeah i've seen that which is a online porn store based uh, not porn store um a sex toy store yeah where you can get a box set 
of, as far as I can tell, they're probably casts of the band members' members um, in a beautiful pine box. No, it's actually, um, um, it's a German hardwood. It's a beautiful box. It's quite expensive gift. Well, judging by a few videos, there's a bit of German hardwood. Yeah. <laughs> and there is literally on this website, you can buy the tildo. Yeah, I know. I've seen it. Which is that is made from a German hardwood. It's, it is carved. It's a yeah. wooden dildo. And there's a accompanying wooden butt plug yeah. that goes in a, a Valentine's gift set. The guy's a fucking legend to, to just go, you know, he's, he plays on his character and, and is selling bloody sex toys that are, as far as I, I know, are modeled off him. And you got five average sized penis shaped implements and one massive one. <laughs> it's like, gee, I wonder whose that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But anyways, I think we ramsteined right into a brick wall. <laughs> and we'll be back in a moment with Fresh and Treasure. G'day listeners, Aaron here. Because Evan and I are stuck in Australia, we thought we'd better send a spy to Broadway to check out the shows for us. So here for today's review is our Broadway spy, Spencer. Today's show is Paradise Square. Now, there's been a lot of controversy with this show, with everything that's going on behind the scenes, but today I'm just going to talk about the show itself, which I think is very good. It's a fantastic show. I love humming songs after a show. I think it's very important when there's an original musical that you walk out humming a song. This opening number of this show has been stuck in my head for five days after I seen this show. It's crazy. I have never seen a show where it's been stuck in my head this long, which is a testament to Jason Howland, the composer, who also, interestingly enough, conducts the orchestra. And it's Really fantastic to see a composer conducting his own music. Now, speaking of this orchestra, it is a very large orchestra. There is a harpist. There's a full string section. It's beautiful. These orchestrations are amazing. On stage, we have uh, the, the lead, Joaquina Kalakengo, who was just nominated for a Tony Award and should win said Tony Award for her 11 o'clock number at the end of the second act, Let It Burn which brings the house down in a rousing standing ovation. You have the choreography for this show, which was correctly nominated for a Tony Award, uh, that uh, molds the black choreography of the time with the Irish choreography of the time, and it's a really beautiful combination of that. Um, the cast is also very large, which just, it's it's wonderful to see a lot of people on stage again just enjoying themselves creating art. Now, the show itself, the book is a little dry. It just needed some work, I think. Um, personally, I would have loved if they cut maybe 20 minutes from the first act because it was just, it was too long for me. Um, and yes, this show was surprisingly to a lot of people nominated for 10 Tony Awards. Um, and I think it deserved those nominations. Now, here's the question. Is it for tourists or purists? I think this is a great tourist show. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a big Broadway musical. It's an original Broadway musical that is based on history. You know, the five points, the Civil War, all the riots that are, are based around that time. 
but it's it's just a wonderful story that you don't really need to know anything going into it, which I was worried about because it is about a historical uh, moment in time. But I didn't know anything, and I loved it. It was fantastic. So that's my review of Paradise Square. Alrighty, listening to Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we're joined by Ben Rimmelauer and Alison Frazier, who is back on our show after being our very first guest. And now I think this is our 50th guest recording. That's pretty cool. I couldn't have done it without you, but thank you so much for giving us a chance in our seventh episode where I sounded like an absolute knob, whereas today I still sound like a knob, but a bit nicer and more professional <laughs> than what we did back then but anyways we're going to move on before i keep embarrassing myself and digging that hole bigger we're going to move on to march of the falsettos which is the second part of our marvin trilogy in our first episode we had the goddess mary testa who took us to church and now we have allison back for March of the Falsettos, and she has brought the ultimate Falsettos fanboy with her, Ben Rimmelauer. Now, tell us about you finding Falsettos before we go on to Evans. I would love to. Um, I don't even ever know if I've ever really talked to Allison so much about this, but I um, I mean, Allison knows uh, my life story, as do people that saw uh, one of my solo shows, Patty Issues, which detailed, because um, it, it, I mean, it's about Patty Lapone partly, but it's a play on daddy issues. It's a story of my very fraught relationship with my father who came out of the closet when I was a little kid, when I was nine, uh, which was in 1985, which was a um, really uh, strange time to have an out gay father in third grade in, you know, in 1985. And just when AIDS was really getting into the public consciousness and all that. And I really felt that this was something that I was alone in. Um, even as I was uh, going into adolescence and becoming comfortable with my own uh, being gay, I didn't know anyone else that had had a gay parent, you know? Um, and I was starting to get really into uh, Broadway musicals. Um, I, and I was really uh, into Patti Lapone and Evita and Andrew Lloyd Webber shows. And I was starting to get into Sondheim stuff. And I was watching the Tony Awards in 1982, 1992. And uh, the Broadway cast of Falsettos was, they did the baseball game from uh, Falsetto Land, from the second act of Falsettos. But they started with just a little, um, you know, it was sort of like a medley. They started with, um, uh, Jonathan Kaplan, who played Jason, singing from the first act from March of the Falsettos, My Father's a Homo. And I mean, I remember just sitting there and here's the, I didn't, I had no idea what this show was going to be about. I mean, I knew there was like Guys and Dolls and Crazy for You were, you know, musicals, but fal at Falsettos, what's Falsettos? And then this little boy, this obviously Jewish boy in glasses holding a baseball bat sings, My Father's a Homo, My Mother's Not Thrilled at All. Father homo, what about chromosomes? Will they carry? Do they carry? Who's the homo now? And I was just like, my brain exploded. And, and then they proceeded to do the baseball game, which was just such a like, well, such a crowd pleaser, but it's such a, you know, archetypal idea of Jewish boys who cannot play baseball. I mean, that was my whole childhood. All the straight boys I grew up with sucked at sports too, you know, not as badly as I did. But um, so I immediately went out and got the CDs of March of the Falsettos and Falsetto Land. And, uh, and I immediately fell head over heels in love with Allison. And it happened to be that um, 
I was going to visit my grandparents in New York for Thanksgiving. And so not only did I get to see falsettos on Broadway, but I got to see Allison in the Secret Garden on Broadway. Uh, so that was really like, you know, uh, and those were my golden years of seeing musicals too. When I, I would listen to the albums front to back. I would learn every, I mean, I'm off book in March of the Falsettos. You know, you could throw me into any production in any of the, the roles and I, would, I wouldn't need rehearsal. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I would sit there and just inhale these shows, you know, and memorize the um, playbills. I mean, I remember with Secret Garden, my sister and I, um, noticed Audra McDonald in the, Audra Ann McDonald in the ensemble. And the reason we noticed her was because it said in her bio that she had played Evita. And we were like, oh my God, a black Evita, that's so cool. And we just remembered her name. And then the next year we saw her in Carousel and she won a Tony, you know, then five more and became biggest star ever. But, um, but anyway, uh, but March of the Falsettos, you know, just, I, I, and you know, like Allison said, I mean, Bill Finn's music is so singular um, and, you know, modern, uh, yes. I mean, it doesn't even, you know, it's modern and it's um, so human and, and conversational. I mean, the way, you know, and, and like Evita and those, and Angela Weber shows that I had loved, I loved falsettos because it is sung through. So when I would put on my headphones and listen to my little disc man in bed at night, I, I was getting the entire show, you know? And so it meant so much to me. And then when I got to college um, and I started a, a student theater company uh, because I wanted to do musicals and the college department at UC Berkeley, the theater department at UC Berkeley didn't, uh, well, they didn't do any musicals and they didn't let students direct. And all I wanted to do was direct. So the very first show that I directed uh, was Falsettos. And it put my company on the map. I mean, it made me like a, I was this, you know, outsider maverick sophomore in the theater department at Berkeley. And then all of a sudden I was like this like superstar on campus. I mean, it was all because people, I feel like I actually got a lot of credit. I mean, I do believe I directed a good production of Falsettos when I was uh, 20 in 1996, but also the students had no idea. They'd never heard of this show. They were not theater people. They were just, you know, UC Berkeley students and they didn't, they'd never seen anything like this. And so uh, this was funny and cool and relatable. It was a little bit in the same vibe as like Seinfeld and Friends. And, you know, it wasn't uh, the kind, you know, the theater department was doing like She Stoops to Conquer, you know, even when they did like Raisin in the Sun, I mean, it was moving, but this was something that was, I think, very tangible for, uh, so, and I think I got a lot of credit that I almost didn't deserve because I just sort of like, I knew the show, you know? So I've always just had a really personal sense, you know, almost like of ownership of that show. Um, and and I do love In Trousers so much. I mean, in some ways more, it, it's, it's not surprising to me to know that Evan connected particularly with In Trousers because um, the someone who you should have on this pod, actually, the great Kenny Melman, mus musical genius, uh, he's Herb of Kiki and Herb, it's cabaret legends for sure. Um, and uh, he's someone that really loves musical theater and appreciates musical theater, but equally loves and appreciates rock and roll. And, and he always says how In Trousers is really uh, singular among musicals in that it, you know, it could almost be uh, in the same field as like Pink Floyd or other sort of, um, you know, the who, things that were going on in, in the 70s musically outside of the theater. Um, I guess the who is kind of in the theater, but uh, but, but anyway, so I love that about In Trousers, although fuck if I could 
tell you what that show is actually the plot. I mean, I've read that script three different versions and had sure millions of conversations with Allison and Mary where I've tried to get a sense of what is happening and I still don't get it. As opposed to March of the Falsettos and Falsetto Land where the storytelling is, is so um, crystal clear. And, you know, and Bill Finn's had, you know, other successes and things, but I don't think he's ever uh, gotten that level of brilliance. And, um, you know, and Allison knows I've been a fangirl since, uh, since well, since before I met her, but I I never I never passed the opportunity to 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 get that experience in person with her as well. Now um, it's funny because the Australian production didn't go down well, I believe, and Bill Finn hated it. Of of falsetto. <laughs> yeah, in 1994, I think it was oh. um, at the Sydney Opera House. I was talking to Simon Burke. Bill went over there to watch it. He hated the production. He liked two of the actors and that was it. What a shame. Did you like, did other people like it? Was it well received? Um, I think it was, yeah. It had Gina Riley in it from Kath and Kim. <gasps> was she Trina? I was waiting for that. She was Trina, yes. Yeah, oh, she, Gina Riley can sing. Hell yeah. I love her. I, I actually bought on eBay the CD of, because you can't get it online, of songs from Captain Kim because she sings that amazing Shirley Bassey song. It's actually not a Shirley Bassey song. It's just an Anthony Newley song, Leslie Bricka song, uh, The Joker. But it sounds so, she sounds as good as Shirley Bassey on the opening credits of Captain Kim. I, I wish I'd seen her as Trina. Is there an album of that? Nope. There's, there will be a, a video production at like the Sydney Library or something like that. That's really all you'll be able to see of that one. Oh, I'm, I will be at, I, I'm, everyone else will be, I'm, whoever I'm with in Australia, it's going to be at the beach exploring. I'm going to be sitting in the library watching Gina Riley as Trina. Because yeah, the archives, like they do at the Lincoln Center. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. They, they would, should have it filmed. Well, what does Bill Finn know anyway? I mean, he did he like that the Broadway, I, if I'm allowed to speak freely here, the Broadway revival of Falsettos, I thought was like a huge disappointment. Presumably Bill liked that production, but I mean, I thought it was like a failure on most counts. I mean, I did watch it again. Uh, James Lapine directed it as he had the original productions. And he also directed it for um, streaming or, you know, Broadway on demand and stuff. And I will say that when I watched it, uh, again on TV, I thought, oh, I think what James was doing, it's almost like he conceived it for the camera. It worked a lot better on camera than it had uh, on stage. But I, I really did not uh, think it worked on stage. And I thought, uh, I mean, I'm a fan of Stephanie J. Block, but I thought that that was a pretty humorless Trina that was pretty lethal to the show. I mean, nobody can be Allison. You know, that's one of those iconic Trinas that is, you're not gonna get to that level, but I've seen other people be good Trinas. Barbara Walsh was wonderful in the original Broadway production. And um, I didn't see Faith Prince, but I, I like listening to her in the Falsetto Land CD. And I even see the Nash, saw the national tour of the Broadway revival and Eden Espinoza was uh, more fun than what Stephanie was doing. Uh, and I mean, there's, I, I'm breaking down is I think probably the funniest show tune I know. I mean, and, and it's not on the March of the Falsettos album, but 
Allison did it on her album, Don't, uh, God damn it, New York Romance. How could I forget that? My favorite song. It's also on the In Trousers album as an extra, uh, the CD. Oh, for that same recording, right? It's the same record company. Yeah. But I mean, Allison's recording of I'm Breaking Down on that album, that makes me laugh in my tracks. <laughs> like, that, like, I don't need to even watch. Like, I, and I have seen her do it because when they opened the new Playwrights Horizon space in 2003, uh, they did, it was called a concert reunion of the original cast of March of the Falsettos. Uh, well, it was all of them except Stephen Bogardis must have been unavailable. So Jonathan Dekuchitz, I think, uh, played Wizard. But Allison was certainly there as Trina. So I did get to see Allison do it. But it was not a concert. I mean, they were completely staged, choreographed. I mean, it's not like March of the Falsettos had such an elaborate physical production to begin with. So it was just, I feel that I did get to see Allison in March of the Falsettos at Playwrights Horizons, even though I did not see it in the 80s. Um, but uh, so anyway, I, I feel that I can speak to the loss of the um, the comedy. And also, you know, um, I think that what makes it so affecting is, you know, because that Bill writes in that modern idiom, um, am I talking too much? I'll stop after this point. But just Alice, I mean, I mean, Allison sings it and it's so thrilling, you know, I mean, you can't uh, her, you know, she's got, I mean, what was, what did you say earlier? You're a high alto, you know, it's like, she has this like high belt voice. I mean, it's in that like Betty Buckley, Patty Lapone, you know, it's not, it's, you know, or it, it divides the mice from the men. I mean, even the great Barbara Walsh in falsettos. I remember that when we did the show in college in those days, I'm sure now it's all digitized, but when we got the vocal, the, the score pieces from, Music Theater International or Samuel French or whoever licenses that show, I don't remember, but it was the actual uh, charts from the Broadway production. And there was pencil marks all over the place, Barbara Walsh alternate notes, because Allison was belting these crazy notes, these Ds and Es and Fs, and you'd see written in, you know, Barbara sang a B flat here, and there's no shame in a B flat, you know, but, um, but anyway, but but Allison didn't just do this like hard belting. She did that stuff and then she turned around in Trina's song and, you know, sang in this, I don't know what kind of voice that is. I'm convinced John Cameron Mitchell stole it from her for Hedwig <laughs> because it's this, it's this folk sound, you know? It's like this weird, creamy, uh, it, it, you know, it, it sounds more like stuff that I would hear from, um, you know, like singer songwriters than from anybody in musical theater, you know? And uh, and we certainly didn't get that from Stephanie J. Block, you know? Um, but but it's not all her. I mean, the you know, they had some of the funniest actors uh, in the business in that production. And it just, it didn't make me laugh. The only person that I thought was really hilarious in that Broadway production was Andrew Rannells uh, as Wizard. And I mean, obviously no shade to Stephen Bogardis who I was so, so in love with when I was in high school because of falsettos. Um, but Andrew Rannells is so funny as Wizard. And you made me think of it earlier, Allison, when you were talking about comparing Bill Finn to, um, uh, uh, what is it, what is it called? No, I can't remember the name of the goddamn it's metal band you're talking about. Lindemann. No, no, no. Well, yeah. Yeah, but what's the band's name? You know, uh, 
Yeah, Ramstein, you know, the, the repeating like rock and roll, like you said, you know, this is better come, this is better come, this, 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 this is better come. There's that great uh, moment, not even a great moment. It's kind of a throwaway moment in March of the Falsettos. It's just a brief nothing in Love is Blind where um, uh, Trina says, he talking about Marvin cheating on her with men, to her therapist, he explains, I've hepatitis too. And then I don't even, you know, it's Wizard and I guess Jason and maybe Mendel. It's just the other people on stage, really not written to be in character as themselves. It's really just Bill using them as a Greek chorus, just doing that Bill Finn repetition. They go, hepatitis, hepatitis, love is blind. The song goes on. But Andrew, <laughs> Andrew Rannells, instead of like a, you know, automaton Greek chorus going, hepatitis, hepatitis, Andrew Rannells goes, hepatitis, hepatitis. <laughs> That's like, me up so much uh, and I was like when I saw that I was like am I just like too plugged into Andrew Rannells and that's just not really what's going on here but sure enough on the video version James Lapine goes into a tight close-up right on Andrew Rannells and that moment was even funnier than I remembered it so Andrew Rannells got the comedy in that production but he was the only one <laughs> now 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 I'm never going to be a Broadway legend I'm talking myself out of a career <laughs> no 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 I was about to say you've made it so easy for me to edit that because when guests start talking and then don't stop it makes my job so much easier it really does because I don't have to edit I'll just have to cut out your ums and ahs and make you sound you know like you've not stopped and stalled and stuttered or whatever I make people sound good thank you up and stall and stutter at all no there wasn't much that's why i'm saying thank you you've made it really really <laughs> easy for me monologue. Let, let me run something by you ben I, i've never asked you this question we've never really talked about that production when i saw it i i kept thinking boy i'd love to be seeing christian who actually i introduced billy to uh, when we did the musical prodigal together i said billy you've got to come and look at this guy he's what would you have thought if Christian Borle had done Mendel and uh, Brandon had done Marvin. Yeah, and that would be great. I mean, and by and by the way, he was very good. Um, Brandon Uranowitz was beautiful. I mean, all that. But yeah, that's a great idea, Allison. That would be great. I thought so. But they were both fine. They were both, you know, terrific. But uh, I, I, I just kept yeah. going, oh, I'd love to see Christian play Mendel. Well, Brand Brandon was actually great. I mean, he's, he he wasn't as funny as Chip, but he but he was great. But there's a thing about Brandon that there is a gravity about him, and there's also yes. the incredible sexiness about him. Yes, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Also, by the way, the Jason was fabulous. I don't remember his name. It's the kid that played Jason was terrific. Because Anthony Rosenthal? Yes, yes, he was really great. Really, I really great. I Cord Cordelia. What was her name? Oh, Betsy Wolf. I don't know. I yeah, Tracy Toms as Dr. Charlotte was great. No, I thought that um, Betsy Wolf would make a good turn someday. I do. I think she's wonderful, and she's got that crazy ass voice. I I don't know. I, I haven't seen the vulnerability from her to be. You know. Well, who do you think? I, I thought Sarah Alvin should have been Trina. You know. I've already told her she'd be perfect. I think she'd be great. You know, a lot of people were saying Leslie Kritzer. That wasn't my number one idea, but I would have been interested, you know. She at least would have been funny, you know. Leslie would have gotten the laughs. That That's what hurt me. It's like, how do you do this show that's like, yes, falsettos is great music. And yes, falsettos is incredibly moving. I mean, especially act one is moving in its humanity about these people. But I mean, act two, you're dealing with death. I mean, you know, all the more that you have to play up the comedy. I mean, Bill Finn's great gift is how hilarious he is. I mean, Bill Finn is funny 
even when Bill Finn accepted his Tony Award, he got laughs right. because Bill Finn's just like one of these crazy, interesting, brilliant, neurotic, twisted minds. I mean, you know, and that's amazing. And how do you do a production that doesn't get, you know, get the comedy? That's that's an audience needs the comedy. That's how they, that's their way in. Yeah, I love the idea. Farrah Alvin, because she, you know, kind of, she does have that sort of strange neurotic energy, but that incredible voice and that incredible yeah. comic timing. And, also and the she, vulnerability. Yeah, that face, she reminds me of Giulietta Messina, you know, that beautiful, beautiful, sad clown face, you know, she's just, mm, mm. I, I love her. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, she's Lavin wonderful, Farrah. And uh, mm. God, I just fell in love with her. She'd be great. She'd be great. Yeah. Sorry, guys, I can't relate since I didn't get to see the Broadway production. Well, you can. You can air it. I saw, it's I saw on, it's on. Yeah, I know. PBS filmed it. I've seen that. But they edit it. They, they censored it. I don't want no fucking censorship. I'm a grown adult. Anyways. Wait, whoa, whoa. What, did they, what are you talking about? They, what censorship? What did they censor? They censored the swearing. Or at least they cut it out or changed the, the lyrics on, on the PBS airing because they're not putting F-bombs on PBS. Watch it on Broadway On Demand. I think the one on demand has everything. Does it? Okay. I will say one thing that, I mean, the comedy is in the material. You don't have to add the comedy, but I do have to say Christian Borrell did crack me up one time when there's the line like, uh, like, I love my tight-knit family. I love the way they cook linguine. And Christian, do you remember, Allison? He's like, I love the way they cook linguine. <laughs> For no reason. <laughs> <laughs> but I did laugh. I did laugh. But exactly, that would be a good Mendel. I mean, that's Mendel. All the jokes with the right. would she wear a negligee? It's that kind of humor. Well, he just has that incredible manic energy. And by the way, in another ship Zion Bill Finn role, he was wonderful in the City Center Encore's production of a new, a new Brain. Although one of my most special Broadway memories is that the day I moved to New York City in 1998, I went straight to uh, the TKTS booth and bought a ticket to the closing matinee of A New Brain at Lincoln Center. And I so I, I did get to see that original production. And uh, so, and of course, so I very fond memories of Chip and Mary and, you know, the whole cast, but uh, Kristen Chenoweth, when she was just, just in the, you know, one of the featured, 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 but, um, but she was great. They were all great. Nurse, right? She's the nurse, right? Yes. I actually didn't see Malcolm Getson. I, I saw Danny Gerwin, who was great. But um, but 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 Chip, but Chip was wonderful. And by the way, you know who was wonderful in that on in that um encore's production of New Brain uh was Anna Gasteyer as uh the mother. She would have been a great turn, really great. Or Catherine Hahn. Yes, Catherine Hahn. I mean, they're very similar actually, but 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 Anna's got a great voice. Katrina is just as neurotic as any of the other as any of the men. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. If you love Anna Gasteyer, there's a movie called Dare. It's with Emmy Rossum and I forgot the actor's name, but he was in um Friday Night Lights. Uh he was one of the leads, but um TV or movie. The TV show Friday Night Lights. Kyle Chandler, are you thinking of? No, 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 the kid, like the like um, the so the main kid that that's like uh, I mean he's not a kid now he's probably he's probably thirty five but you know he was a kid in Friday Night Lights but Allison have you watched Friday Night Lights I have not but I really like one of the leads in it who was also in that thing with Hamish Linklater Midnight Mass 
there were two like young male leads. Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch is the hot one. He was in uh, The Normal Heart. He's wonderful, but that's not the one that was in Dare. It's uh, the other one. Zach Guilford? Yes. Yeah, him. He's great. Yes, so good. Yeah, he's, he's amazing in Midnight Mass. Amazing. Oh, I got to check that out. Oh, sexy as hell. Such a minimal actor. You know, everybody else is like acting up a storm and he's just kind of looking there. It's just great. One one more thing that I love about uh, March of the Falsettos. This is just a song that's like, it's almost a half song. People don't talk about I Never Wanted to Love You. Just shows how like Bill Finn is just like lousy with melodies. Like, I mean, not lousy bad at it. Like lousy, like melodies coming out of his ears you know it's like i never wanted to love you is like everybody sings in it it sort of has like a weird ending i mean he's clearly just the song is in service of the piece so the song doesn't get to live on its own so deeply sad when i sang it originally it was all very very you know very sad and dour and 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 then when he hit me you know it was just like oh god this is tragic but i was going through so much when i did that 2003 a presentation of it for the opening of Clarets Horizons. And I told Billy, you know, I, I'm not sure I can do it. My husband's dying of cancer. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. So you better have somebody ready to, to come into it. And so I had a lot going on in my life. And when we came to that moment, and, you know, because, you know, it, I never wanted to love you. It was really, really beautiful and very melodic. But then, he follows it up, Billy. It's almost like he can't forgive himself for being so sentimental and, and lush and passionate and sad. And then he comes in with Tell me, Trina, what are you thought? You know, that whole that whole like relentless again, that very, very punk sound almost. And then when he hits her, I just I started laughing. And I'm I and my my feeling was just so different. And I, I couldn't stop. I was like, oh, my God, what an asshole. Yeah. Rather than, oh, my life, my life is over. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a much better take. <laughs> it shows your metal, Allison. <laughs> it's just, what an asshole. <laughs> and basically, that's what it's about, really. It's kind of a crazy detail that's in the story when you think about it. Like, it, it's not really necessary. Like, Marvin's been such a dick in so many ways anyway. Why does he need to hit her? Like, you know. I, I have theories on this, and Billy would totally disagree with me. But at the time of that, at time at the time he was writing it, you know, we were all very involved with each other. We were, you know, going to each other's, I mean, we would go to Billy's house and work on the music till 12, two o'clock in the morning, you know, and um, I started dating his best friend, a guy named Charlie Rubin, who actually wrote Romance in Hard Times with him and did a lot of work originally on uh, the, uh, the first version of March of the Falsettos, which was through Forgers in a Room Bitching. And, uh, and I started dating him and Billy was not happy about that at all. And I, I think, oh. I, I don't know why, I think it was because I was taking his best friend away or whatever. And uh, Charlie, he really is the nicest person. We're still in touch. And he's a very successful writer. He's a, a very, um, he used to, he wrote some of the best Seinfeld episodes. Uh, uh, he works at NYU now as a professor in film and television. And uh, his birthday, Ben's going to appreciate this, is May 10th. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So do you remember the lyric? You die on May 27th at eight. 
That's amazing. So in so Bill <laughs> basically wrote that from how he felt toward you and Charlie well, with him as Marvin kind of. Uh, again, Charlie agrees with me. Billy will deny it from uh, here to well, Bill, Bill might be right, because maybe what you guys, you know, maybe the fact is Bill's had lots of resentments his whole life. So he didn't need you and Charlie to date for him to be able to understand Marvin. Oh, he wasn't happy about it. Believe me. <laughs> it seems to me like the hitting is unnecessary because it's not really reconciled with, you know, like if that really happened, we would want there to be like more reckoning for it. Like we're going to smack him back. That's what twice. <laughs> One on each cheek. Yeah. And then black out. Or Mandel gets. Yep. Yeah. Mandel. But I think that's the way it happens in real life. There's a cataclysmic event and some some of them aren't resolved. And sometimes it's better not to resolve it and not to fight back and then let them deal with the consequences of that unresolved action. I believe that's called parenting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Evan, does this musical slap? <laughs> One of the key points of the the story, which is you know Marvin's yeah. a dick. He is. <laughs> I picked up that he was a dick in in trousers, but then he really did show it. Yeah. Um, but he's human. That's the point. He just wants everything and doesn't want to compromise for it. Yeah. You know he wants this perfect family, but isn't willing to put the fucking effort in. And, and it's just he's... me, me, me. Uh, he's so self centered and. Yeah. Ah, uh, selfish. <laughs> but think of all the all the characters that we've had so far that have just been so perfectly structured. Yeah. Barely any of them have been so deeply flawed. Yeah, I mean, there's flawed, and then there's Marvin. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's I think why he makes it so relatable to a lot of people. Not that they would do the things that he does, but because he is so human. Mm. But yeah, and it's all about Marvin. Marvin wants this. Marvin wants yeah. that. It's, it's this is what Marvin wants, and Marvin gets what he wants. And yeah. he's a he's a dick about it, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, and then on top of bloody uh, was it Mendel, psychiatrist giving just some terrible advice. Yeah, you know, just buck up, kiddo. You know, <laughs> you know have just... you ever thought about being happy? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever thought about not being single? Yeah, if you feel all right for five minutes, why can't you feel all right for 20 minutes? And then why can't you feel all right for the rest of your life? Like that, just get over it, kid. Jeez, he's shocking. And then, you know, runs off with his bloody client's wife. It just, it, it's um, unethical. It's... Who becomes his client as well. Yeah, I know. Does she sleep Everyone's in the dysfunctional in here. Just everyone. It's all trying to mash them together yeah and think before oh. that there was just so much perfection in characters like then you've got this it's it's almost a dark comedy in a way because it's like the alexander payne movies of today or the pt anderson movies of today that mundane that i keep talking about that put a camera in someone's window and this is what you're going to see. Mm. You're gonna, not going to see no exciting superheroes running around. You're going to see assholes, <laughs> basically, because people are assholes. Hasn't the, the past two years taught us anything? Oh, my God. Did I not? Hang on. Did I miss? I don't think I read the track list as I was listening to it. I was just sort of listening along and following along the story. There is literally a song called Marvin Hits Trina. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't read it, so I missed that. Like the many, I heard it. I listened through at least three times, four times. You hear the slap? I didn't click. 
didn't click what was going on. You definitely needed to see it. Well, I needed to see it to pick that up. And then it was just like, oh, he's such a dick. Yeah, he is. I, I did wish it was more like in Trousers. Uh, certainly like the song March of the Falstettos itself. It's just this mental, <laughs> this, this this absolutely bonkers song just kind of jammed in the middle. Now, what about the opening? Four Jews in a room bitching. Yeah, again, you get a laugh straight away. Like, I was Really? Laughing from the first verse, yes. Really? Definitely. I yeah. recall somebody saying that, oh, when it's just swearing for the sake of swearing, it's not funny. And here you have them going, bitch, 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 funny, 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 funny. That's not saying F you in someone's face for two minutes and 24 seconds. In an operatic style, Jesus. <laughs> in an operatic, that's the one note. No, um, no, completely different thing. It reminds me of, um, it's a Mel Brooks kind of humor. Yeah, that Jewish humor. Yeah. Musically, yeah, it's it's good. It is very good. It's more the story. You get involved in the story and the characters. And yeah. You, you do want to know what happens next. You know them. They're so well drawn. And, and it's a bit of everyone in it, all of them. Yeah. And, and these yep. original performers, have, for so many of us, have just been played thousands and thousands of times that, you know, that that's just become such living entities in that sense of then you, you go along and see someone new do it and you can't help but judge the originals on them because they you know what i mean they just embody that voice so so much like it's kind of annoying if you i can see why they jam march of the falsettos and falsetto land together and just call it falsettos as one show because it ends up being like two and a half hours long but if you were to watch just march of the falsettos by itself yeah it kind of is the bit in the middle it doesn't really have a, a an ending no as such it has a bit of a resolution sort of but not really it yeah it is the bit in the middle and to, yeah. to listen to it by itself is yeah it's odd you sort of go well not a lot happened really so i can see why they don't jam those two together it's a shame they don't throw in trousers at the start yeah what, what's your score i, think, I still like in trousers more just the absolutely off the wall craziness of in trousers and and like we said before you can you can pick it apart and the more you hear it the more you can read into it and and even just yeah. by cha- moving the the track list around it'll tell a different story just yeah. by picking it apart. Uh, whereas this is much more coherent and laid out. And, you know, this is the story, which yeah. is yeah, better for the masses, I suppose. This will just have to be a three and a half because it's not as good as in trousers. Oh, wow. But it's, but I, I still liked it. But it does end on him hitting his ex-wife. So it's not, you know, it's not really a happy ending. <laughs> no. Wanting to give it five stars, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, when was the last time either of you wanted to walk out of a production of Falsettos? You don't have to name the company. You know, I haven't <laughs> seen many productions of it. I, I think I've only seen like two or, two or three. Yeah, it just didn't happen that I could. I never saw the Broadway, the first Broadway production. I think I was doing Secret Garden at the time. And oh, was, yeah. You know, that's why I didn't. I, yeah, it was, it was like, yeah, that was Secret Garden, right? Yeah, and, yeah, because yeah. I saw both on the same trip. Right, right. And uh, I just had a baby. I was busy. I was just like, I felt like, oh, that part of my life is over. But then Jim Lapine was so nice to invite um, the original cast to the uh, Broadway revival. And I, I, I never thought for a second of leaving. I thought it was fascinating to see something that you know, I had been in the room where it happened. And oh, yeah. indeed, I had done some of those harmonies and, and uh, uh, a lot of that original 
found a falsetto work that Billy and Mary and I did together lo those many years ago. So to hear that recreated by these really super fine voices and of course Starobin is still a great part of uh, James Lapine's you know you know core company and yeah. uh, uh, it was a thrilling moment and again I thank Jim Lapine so much James for um, making sure that I was credited for orchestrations on the album mm -hmm. on the TV show on the uh, the program and you know that that doesn't happen a lot you go and see falsettos in community theater or or a, a, an LA version you're not going to see my name on that on that and as, and as a matter of fact you don't even see my name on that compilation uh record of falsetto and uh march wait what was, yeah it's amazing any of the crediting online on spotify or anything none of the actors are named oh no, you know you know you know who sings uh my father's a homo on on uh youtube francine lefrac francine lefrac who the hell is that exactly who lefrac they put the producer's name Oh, I don't, I think that's a weird mistake. I don't, it's listen. It's not a weird mistake. It's not a weird. Spotify is a mess. There are tracks that are labeled to the wrong artist all the time. There's no way, whoever the person in power is, it's not Francine Lefrac. No, but Francine Lefrac is the producer, which means when it was put on the album initially, maybe they just didn't bother, you know, tracking who was on Okay, it. wait, I'm going to get this fixed. This is insanity. There's, I don't know who Francine Lefrac is, but. Nobody thinks it's a good idea for her to be credited as the performer on Spotify. I mean, you know. I don't know if it's Spotify or not. I'm talking about YouTube. It is a Spotify, yeah. Is that a Spotify? Yeah. Uh, but guess guess how they credit me for Gypsy? Um, your cast. Strippers. Yeah, okay, Strippers. fine. But that's what I'm saying. That makes sense. We live in a capitalist society and they screw people over. That <laughs> makes sense to me. I, I disagree with it, but I understand the logic. There's no logic. That's somebody doing that, perpetrating that. Nobody, it's a bad idea for Spotify to have Francine Lafrac credited as the artist on Falsettos. Have Bill Finn, have the original Broadway cast, have the nobody right. Michael Rupert, you know, but like nobody thinks it should be Francine Lafrac. That's fixable. Again, it's much harder than that. I've been trying to do this for years. The problem is it was on DRG Records, which was run by a na man named Hugh Forden, who was famous for not paying any residuals. He could have just said, oh yeah, let's just put Francine's name in. And Francine was the original producer. And um, mm. no, seriously. And I have tried calling DRG. They never call us back. I mean, Michael Rupert's not credited. Nobody's credited. No. And there's a story that uh, the actor, Michael Moriarty, the, the guy from Law and Order, wonderful actor, uh, he's had some, you know, troubles in the business but he's, he you can't take away the fact that he's a brilliant actor but he's also a brilliant pianist he did jazz pianist he did an album for hugh forden and it was all jazz music i'm not sure if it was original or um uh, covers but when and he went to buy it and it rang up as you know, somebody from the 1920s, some, you know, obscure jazz musician from the 20s who would never get residuals. So there yeah. was something funny going on. There. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I think that the Spotify thing is a byproduct unintended of the something funny going on with the residuals. Right. I'm not saying I can yes. get you a check, but I promise you I can get Spotify credit changed for all the March of the Falsetto. And, and, and here's the other thing. Uh, you've heard of sound exchange, yes? 
sound no. oh. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful service that sees that um, people get what they deserve from their soul. Oh, like ASCAP and BMI and stuff. Right. Well, no, but it's called Sound Exchange, and it expressly um, takes care of singers and a lot of singers in theater. And so if you sign up and say, well, I did this album, I did this album, I sang on this track, this track, this track, then when that is played in certain markets, like on Sirius XM or wherever you get money i get an average of probably i don't know two hundred dollars a month from like uh, mostly you get um a uh, secret uh hold on which i yeah. share with uh, daisy even even though she only talks in it but it's listed as two people yeah sure and um you got to get again you know and that's like 200 bucks never have i gotten a residual for either in trousers or march of the falsettos not one Okay, so yeah. that tells you that That somewhere... I cannot fix, but I can get the credit fixed. Okay, yeah. get the credit fixed. Let's, go, let's get on a rampage, Ben, right, <laughs> to get this fixed across the board because it happens so much. Now, think of what the past, yeah, the past two years, right, if how many Broadway performers or just musical theatre performers, because obviously not, not every cast album is from Broadway, right? If every performer out there had been getting residuals for these songs, think of what the past two years might have been like for them right. getting a bit of yeah. fucking dollars in the fucking mail. Sorry, I'm angry. <laughs> this is a rare exception because some rinky-dink label, DRG, that records, you know, look, we're grateful that DRG happened yeah. because nobody else in 1982 would have recorded March of the Falsettos. And he screwed them out of it. And on, I have no power to ever fix that. But we can get the credits changed. That's all. Actually, Bruce Yako would have recorded it, but DRG offered more money. Yeah. So... I'll tell you one thing though, thanks to DRG screwing you guys, March yeah. of the Falsettos is available streaming. Those Bruce Yeko albums are not available streaming, most of them. Like it's, The Baker's yeah. Wife, the original, uh, you know, with Patty, the yeah. Stephen Schwartz musical, that's not streaming. It drives me crazy. Yeah, he won't do it because he says they don't pay enough money. It's like, what? how much money do you expect? I mean, really, anyway. So he's just gonna hold out? He's stupid, he's cutting off the future. I'm gonna send yeah. him an angry letter. Believe me, I've, I've begged him, I have begged him. You know, there are even some metal bands out there that don't get their streaming revenue. Like Cheval, there's, I think they're brothers or something. They don't get their streaming revenue. The record company gets it. And it's like, well, why are we bothering fighting for stage performers if fucking bands aren't getting there? But yeah, no, so it, it does fire me up. We need to change it. But anyways, we're going to march off to an ad break before we all lose our heads <laughs> about residues. <laughs> we're back in a moment with Thrash and Treasure. G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness. 
and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! You know, one of my favorite songs Allison sings, one of my favorite songs in the world is her husband's song, A New York Romance, which is everybody should listen to from Allison's album and everybody else should sing it too because it's just one of the great songs. And um, there's a lyric in it, um, the girl the girl you think's Miss Right till you find out she's a whore. And then I noticed in more recent years, Allison had been singing till you find out she's a bore. And uh, I said to you, do you remember this, Allison? I said to you, oh, I'm so happy that you changed it because it's less misogynist. And you said, it's not about being less misogynist. It's that it's actually just more cutting because really calling someone a bore is just the ultimate, just, re just reducing them, you know? Dismissive. 
Yeah, you're so good. You so you understand lyrics. Yeah, he, he loved that change, and uh, that's what's on the sheet music now. So that's good. Gorgeous. All right, you listen to Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Evan, and we are joined by the wonderful Alison Fraser and the marvelous Ben Rimmelauer. Am I saying that right? You are. You're saying it perfectly. Oh, good. Okay, that's all right then. Is it German? Rimmelauer German? It's actually Ukrainian. Is it really? Well, the name is German. The name, <laughs> Ukraine's in now. The name is German, but it's taken because the family came from a village in the Ukraine. Oh, nice. That's cool. I've been dying to ask Alison this since we started asking it. For both of you, what has been your experience with standing ovations over the past few years? Have you noticed a change mm. in Broadway audiences for better or worse? Sure. I mean, it was actually worse uh, 25 years ago. Yeah. I think I want to say the, there was the musical, the British pop opera Blood Brothers. Willie Russell. In 1993, I came to Broadway with um, Stephanie Lawrence, uh, R.I.P., who was a great uh, British star. She got a Tony nomination, actually, doing Blood Brothers on Broadway. And um, then that's when they brought in Petula Clark. And then, you know, it became... Was that with the Cassidy Brothers? Was it the Cassidy yeah. Brothers? At one, yeah, they, they replaced. They weren't the original. But they, it was the original, uh, well, not the original, but from the West End Revival with Kiki D. It was those guys that did it on Broadway with Stephanie Lawrence. And there was an advertising campaign that kind of like McDonald's, 50 million served, for, but it was for Blood Brothers. And the ad said, you know, 100 standing ovations. And then the next week it said 108 standing ovations. You know, you know, Blood Brothers had a lot of Sturm and Drang. I don't remember the plot. You know, it was a pop opera. She, she gave up her children because she was poor. And then she fought and then she got back together with them and then she died at the end you know it was it, it, the stakes were very high yeah. it wasn't like a casual comedy you know and so you know and and they sang these big pop opera anthems and and you know it, it was natural that people would rise to their feet at the end of that show and there there was a lot of talk how that just became this thing ticket prices were higher and i think audiences felt the need to um sort of consecrate the experience with it. it's almost like it's not if you don't like lean in on this sense of like this being this epic time you know if broadway tickets cost hundreds of dollars and you can only go once or twice a year you better believe you're going to go and give a standing ovation. No. And I'm talking <laughs> about the general stooges, you know, maybe some shows are so terrible that they're like, Oh, for Christ's sake, I'm, I can't, I'm not standing for this, but in them, for the most part, they see a lot of mediocre crap and they're just like, this is what it is. And they stand up for it. And it's become so uh, de rigueur that, um, you know, you see shows and you, you're like obligated to also, by the way, once most, well, there's a certain tipping point where enough people are standing. A, you don't want to feel like an asshole, and B, you want to watch the curtain call, and you can't you can't enjoy watching clapping for the actors if you can't see their faces because people in front of you are standing. So everybody stands, you know. Yeah. And I noticed that over the last few years, that actually started to wane a little bit. It had sort of reached a crazy uh, velocity, and then it it's it seemed to be getting less common. But I'm afraid after the pandemic there's a little bit of sense of like, it, maybe it's back to its like peak point again. And it's too much, you know? Um, it's uh, because I, I, I'm a very enthusiastic audience member. I mean, I really love the things that I love, you know? And, and there are many things, you know, even in these days of theater being, you know, a mixed bag, there are still things all the time that I'll say, oh, this is incredible. This is so moving. And 
but it feels so cheap if everybody's just standing for everything, you know? Yeah, I know it's cheap. And I have no problems looking like an asshole. I have this show, Ben. <laughs> but, on, but on the other hand, you know what? Like that is the culture that we live in today is this dumbed down society. And the alternative is them not going to the theater and we want them to go to the theater. You know, it's like Patti Lapone is con constantly complaining about, you know, they're eating and they're drinking and they're doing this. It's like, it's 2022. We want them to see shows, put in more comfortable seats, sell the Sour Patch Kids and the popcorn. This is it. Like, it's just, it's not the theater that was like the temple in the certain way that it used to be. And I think we need to maybe embrace that a little bit and welcome the audiences that we, you know, it, this is the reality. And if it becomes a stodgy thing that people feel excluded from, I think that's the wrong direction. Well, no, I don't think it's necessarily that. I just think it's, it is a thing. It has a meaning to it. It, it was that thing in Dreamgirls, at, and I'm telling you, I'm not going, where the audience stood up in the middle of the show because they could not help it. Yes. That's what a standing ovation is. It's seeing come from away twice. Those standing ovations looked mechanical. Well, you're talking about a standing ovation in the middle of the show, first of all, is still special. Yes. You know? Yes. That's, you know, so that's not, that's not quite the same thing, but I know what you mean, because that is what we did when we were so blown away at the after the show, but maybe it doesn't mean that anymore. Maybe now the new tradition is you sit on your ass for two hours and watch a show. And at the end you clap and you stand up and maybe that's just what it is. And to us, it's like, well, yeah. but the young kids don't know any better. And they're just like, oh, the show's over. You stand up and clap for the It's cast. become a tradition to get up. And, and if you don't get up, you do kind of look like an asshole, unless it's a clearly horrible show. Yeah, and then there's the other side of it. When, when you're like with me and me and Ben, there are going to be people in the audience who, who know us, you know? And if we're like, oh, I'm not standing up for it. You know, this, I saw a musical, what, that opened a couple of months ago that everybody loves. And I did not love it one single bit, but I did stand up at the end. Did you feel dirty? No, I didn't feel dirty. I felt like, you know what, these actors did work hard. There were parts yeah, of it sure. I liked. And now I'm not going to go on Twitter and or all that chat or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but I'll have people come and say, well, did you hear what they said about you? And I was like... Uh, what what you know they're they're mad at me for not standing up at the end of a nonsense. show yeah oh but it's true but it's true it's happened yeah you know i, I don't think it's bollocks I, I do like if you're not feeling it don't stand yeah, yeah. oh of course no, no of course no, not okay. but i but it just it just seems like I don't, my, my interest though is getting people into a theater, not- Criticizing them once they're there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I will say, if it makes you feel any better, I did patty issues over 200 times all around the world, never had a standing ovation once. Wait a second. I think I might have stood for you because I thought you were brilliant at it. Well, <laughs> and I saw that show a few times. Uh, Allison, Allison is special. She, she's always supportive, my fairy godmother, but- it was, to be honest, I think it was different in a cabaret space. I think people, you know, when you've got a table full of drinks, you don't quite leap to your feet in the same way. No. Listen through, there's a lot of people like, nope, it's cheap. Nope. I'm, I'm happy to look like an asshole. And I'm like, yes, yes. Thank you so much. Well, I do agree that it's cheap. I do agree 100% that it's cheap. I just think it is what it is, but. But I'm surprised you don't want to watch the actors during the curtain call. I love watching the actors during the curtain call. I do. If people sat the fuck down, I could see them. 
Well, you're not willing to sacrifice your pride so you can My see. My integrity? Oh, no. Alison Fraser's beautiful face beaming <laughs> in the love of the audience. Ben, I just read through an eight-page introduction to you guys while I was sitting here smelling a puppy's <laughs> poop. <laughs> Don't ever question my integrity or what I'm willing to, to put up with. I'm gonna go like this. Yay! <laughs> no, no. I think your integrity is too pure. Your integrity is too pure. Not after that one. It was not, I tell you, it was nothing pure about that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we'll move on. Diplomacy. How important is that amongst friends on Broadway? It's everything. That's why I hate directing. I mean, I, I like the creativity of directing, but the diplomacy uh, is so much pressure. And uh, it, especially as someone who's not famous and the actors don't have to kiss your ass for business reasons, it's almost impossible. I, I, I really don't uh, seek out those uh, experiences anymore. And, um, it, you know, and I think there's a good thing to diplomacy. I mean, it's like, I don't, you know, when people, you know, as artists, there are people in our lives that whose whose input we treasure and seek out, and that's a sacred trust. But otherwise, you're just being an asshole if you're telling people what you think of their work. Now, I'm all for talking, saying what I think about people's work behind their back. I mean, you know, we should all. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, the great composer Mark Shaman, who wrote Hairspray and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and everything like that, he's constantly going on these social media rants about how people shouldn't say their, you know, shouldn't say rude things about other people's shows or whatever. And I'm like, come off it. You know, we're theater people. That's what we do. You know, part of the fun yeah. of seeing a show is you go to the pub with your friends afterwards and you, everybody says what they thought. You know, I love that. But that's different than telling someone what you think of their work. I think, you know, you butt out unless you're asked. And I think that's important. And, and when you see a friend in a show, I mean, the greats, I've heard this from Zoe Caldwell, you know, it doesn't matter what you thought of your friend's performance, what you thought of the show. You go see your friend in the show and you say, you were wonderful. I loved it. It was terrific. You, your job is a cheerleader. Unless somebody says to you, not in the dressing room in a crowd, what did you think? The answer then is fabulous. If they want to talk to you over coffee, if they want to text you later, one-on-one, -on -one, honey, really, truly, tell me your thoughts. You know when your friend is asking you for your actual input, but your job otherwise is to be a cheerleader. And I think that's, that's appropriate. You can go tell everybody else how much you hated it. My favorite <laughs> is when people come into the dressing room and go, hi, I saw the show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, so what'd you think? Uh, <laughs> and you, you can tell though, you can tell when people didn't like it because they will be like, weren't the lights pretty? Oh, look at the costumes. That it's never a oh yeah, no, I really loved it. I can tell it with my novels. Like my mum was like, Oh, where did you get your ideas from? And I'm like, really? You're asking me how a brain works? There's 250,000 <laughs> words in that fucking novel. And you're asking me how a brain works. Oh my God. Clearly she didn't get it. And that's fine. She should have just said, I didn't like it because I'm not offended. You know, it's not for her. It's not written with my mum in mind, like trying to, you know what I mean? Like, so I'm used to the criticism or at least seeing through it when someone's bullshitting. So that's why I started asking this question now. When you have performers that have just gone through an artistic and emotional experience, like I did a, a wonderful one woman show called Squeamish with that Aaron Mark, who is a great friend and collaborator uh, with Ben. And if somebody had come backstage after that show and oh my God. just done exactly what you just 
did. I think I might have decked them. What what I just did? What your mom did. What you said your mom did. Yeah. yeah. Oh. You no, know, because it's like, how dare you? But by the way, it's different with your mother. Um, a, a mother is a very tricky yes. thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the decorum backstage is, especially on an opening night. Oh, congratulations. This yeah. was marvelous. So diplomacy is everything is what you're saying. Like, like you just getting to that point is a one you know what just getting to the stage is the miracle just the fact that we had an opening night that's the accomplishment yeah yeah and so you can in all good conscience say that this conscience say this is a wonderful wonderful night because also we've all done work that we're proud of and work that we're not proud of and we've mm -hmm. all done work that was successful and work that was not successful those mm -hmm. two things are not um the same and we've all had processes processes that were joyful and satisfying and processes that were miserable sometimes the miserable process led you to the success or vice versa and you know so it's true what allison says i mean you get to this experience and uh of the opening night we don't know what you've gone through the fact that you survived that that you didn't quit or get fired you might have just had the worst challenge of your entire life you know yeah. and regardless of whether the show's good or bad i mean so it, there is something truly uh remarkable about somebody that has opened a show absolutely and and written a novel thanks three yeah no spend. exactly Free. but exactly Sorry. but even but it's the same thing that goes for writing you yeah. know sometimes you wake up in the morning to write and cartoon birds land on your finger at the window and you feel like you're carrie bradshaw sitting at the computer going hmm what do i have to say today muse and it's beautiful and other times it's a tortured experience writing you know yeah so it really is that you know when i opened in gypsy it was a big deal i hadn't been on Broadway in a really long time and it had been a very very difficult process for me with working with arthur and ultimately we became uh, very good friends again after like a couple of hellish months and my whole family and my boyfriend at the time came and um, the only person who did not leap to their feet and rightfully so at the end of that encore's version uh no the broadway version of gypsy was my boyfriend and i broke up with him very very shortly after that and that wasn't for me that was for showbiz yep yeah yeah <laughs> i was gonna ask about that um, because Nat was 18 when you did Gypsy and there's his mum playing a stripper on stage. I I meant to ask him when I was on the show, how, how did you go with that being, because, you know, if it was a gay boy, we would be like fabulous, but I don't know if straight boys would take it the same. So No, I think he would be absolutely fine about it. He's a very sophisticated young man and he, he realises yeah. that. It's not like seeing her in a porno anyway. I mean, you know. No. No. <laughs> no. no. Allison, you were she was so brilliant in that production. I I yeah. wish you could have seen it, Aaron. That was yeah. a hard one performance, let me tell you. That was hard one. But it was it was so um, you know, there are such cliched ideas of what those characters can be. And Allison was just so unexpected and just singular and layered and just hilarious and, and moving and wonderful. It was really I um, just I can't. I can't stand the idea of those women being played like, oh, these are the funny three old broads. And it's like, yeah. no, they're pathetic women with 
horrifying lives and they're aging out of the only job they can do. And they're sad and they're angry. And Arthur kept responding to it. He said, get madder, get madder, get even more mad. And it was so much fun to just be this bitter, bitter gal. And the angrier I got, the more the audience laughed. Oh, so fucking hilarious. And then Patty and, Patty and I stopped the show one night with, where in the Vatican? You know, that, that scene. <laughs> and, and Arthur got so mad. He said, that's so unprofessional. It's like, oh, well, you know, they liked it. <laughs> Do you, are you watching the new season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No, no. Oh, because, you know, she's a stand, the character's a stand-up comedian in the 60s. Oh, I, I, saw, I saw the first scene, uh, the first season, yeah. Yeah, because, so well, so now she... This season, she has a job as the act to keep the cops out in a vaudeville, um, and not a vaudeville, in a in a burlesque house. Um, and it's uh, like, were there, were there still burlesque houses in the? 50s? I don't know. I don't know whether it's plausible or not. It's not. It's nineteen sixty. It's not the sixties. But anyway, she. Um, but it's just. It's hilarious. I mean, it's all that kind of stuff. And I'm convinced that. Um, uh, do you know the actress Kristen Wyatt? No, she's a theater Broadway musical actress and she plays one of the strippers and I mean and she's a page right out of she could have been there with um with you and uh and the other two in that I mean it's uh oh well there'll be another revival in another three years oh for sure but it's but it's exactly that milieu it's just like this all the dressing room scenes of the strippers sitting around it's too good I mean it's that it's a great world Yep, I'm campaigning for Gypsy to come back to Broadway with Freddie Walker Brown as Mama Rose. That's I'm throwing that my hat in the ring for her. I want LaShawn to do it with her daughter as as Louise. But I've heard that it's gonna be Audra McDonald. Oh really? Yeah, supposedly Scott Rudin. Freddie said she could never play the role because Mama Rose is white. And I was so offended by that because she would fucking kill it. Whoever it is, I think the Broadway, the next Broadway production will be black, or at least a black rose. Yep. Uh, just back onto strippers and burlesque. Could a bawdy sex comedy play work in the 2020s, or are we too boring now? It could, but it has to be not what was bawdy in the 70s years yeah. ago. We would need we need somebody fresh writing like that. Are there lots of bawdy sex comedies on TV? Well, kind of, but on stage, like something like Oh Calcutta, or there was that other one. Um, oh, so let my people come. Oh, so you're, you're talking about. Yeah, let my people come. Yeah, like real bawdy sex comedy stage, a play or a musical. I'm actually, I am writing one at the moment. That's why I've, I've asked this question because I've asked a few people, not on the show, but just in general, would it work? And everyone keeps saying no because society is too woke or the Me Too movement would get in the way. And I'm like, but it's satire and parody. So. It, I think anything that is smart enough and funny enough will work. Um, I don't. I don't believe all the bullshit people. No, you can't say what you want because of the Me Too movement. But that's all. That's for dumb people. You know. I think that anything that is smart enough transcends that. And I think people that are complaining about that just don't know how to say something that you know. All, you look at then what the things those people are the jokes that they're getting censored, and they're hacky. And they're offensive, not, you know, they're offensive because they're cheap. And I think that's something that actually has a fresh perspective won't be offensive to those movements because I think it'll be fresh and smart. Listen, have you ever heard of the skivvies? I did the skivvies. Yeah, exactly. I, that's what I want to tell him about. Aaron, Allison is one of their all-time greats. I know, I've seen the performances. 
Yeah. I've got I, one of the best reviews I ever got for that skivvy show of Rocky Horror. Oh, Me and really? Tom Hewitt. It's like, wow, we should take our clothes off more often. Allison could do any sexy as her brand. That is not an issue. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Now, um, I've just got a couple more questions and I'll let you guys go because it has been a long recording so far and interrupted by the puppy. You're doing Tennessee Williams's Cat Off-Broadway. What are you most eager to sink your teeth into with the character? Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I, yeah. I've seen it, it many, many times and um, I want to do a different take on, on Big Mama. And uh, fortunately, it gels with the director's take on it. He, he wants to really make it a, a more modern uh, Big Mama and uh, Big Daddy. I mean, my Big Daddy is probably one of the hottest daddies in the world, Christian LeBlanc, who's a huge soap star. And the May is also this just gorgeous one. Sayuna Moto from uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Forgive me if I say the name wrong. I haven't even met her yet. Uh, she's playing Maggie. So we have the, an Asian lady playing Maggie. And um, it's it, we've got a lot of different ingredients in this pot than the ingredients you have seen in this play before. And it's going to be very sort of Kardashian dressed. And uh, it, it'll be a lot of fun. Ben, you'll be there. Oh, 100 percent. Okay, you're gonna stand at the end, damn it. <laughs> For you, I always stand. I would be the I would stand even without the trend. <laughs> you're gonna lie to me if you hate me. I will lie to you if I hate oh, yeah. you. You're gonna be diplomatic about it and you're gonna be like, you were in a play. What the lights pretty. I will say you were brilliant. This was brilliant. I will I will not do those well you did that you know all that shit yeah yeah did you see the tennessee the last tennessee williams that i did uh in masks outrageous on us here yes yes i did it was the i think it's uh now the Redgrave. uh I, I forget what it was called at the time i did see it i did see it and you know now that you're in a williams play again is the perfect time to do your own williams show in town oh i'd love to do that again the one that i made the record from i love that yeah you, you haven't done it in the city i have well, i did it once in the city but just once I didn't yeah. see it, so it doesn't count. <laughs> I have video. I got videos. You know. I want to see it. I want to see it in a room. It's pretty. It's a pretty astonishing piece. Yeah. Well, so come. I wish that you could come too, but uh, you're in Australia. I know. I am stuck here. You guys will have to come here instead and perform for me in Melbourne. We will get us booked. Get us booked in the Melbourne Cabaret Festival. God, yeah. if people in Australia actually liked me, Ben, they might actually tune into this show once in a while. Well, come on it. So I don't think that's happening anytime soon. I did the Adelaide Cabaret Festival and I really yep. want to come back and do Melbourne and Sydney. Yep. And Allison should come and do her Tennessee Williams show there. Yes. Yeah, yes. That. And I will be there. And I probably will give you a standing ovation just because yes. I'll feel bad if I don't <laughs> like to go all the way here just for me. Um, okay. Now, Ben, I was going to ask about directing, but apparently you don't want to direct anymore. Well, listen, I would, I would, I wouldn't turn down a good job, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a struggle for a um, rising career director, you know, I just, I don't know, you know, I, I, I like collaborations that yeah. are, um, that are joyful and painless. I mean, Allison mentioned Aaron Mark, who wrote and directed the brilliant uh, one woman play Squeamish that she did. Mm -hmm. He also directed my uh, solo plays and he's directing my new one that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And I'm so at peace when I'm collaborating with him in that respect. And, you know, so many collaborations don't feel that way. And so basically I only want to work with Aaron Mark. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the only person 
But Aaron's busy. Aaron, Aaron had another play that he wrote called Empanada Loca that they made into a podcast. And now it's he's the uh, showrunner and executive producer of an Amazon Prime series, uh, The Horror of Dolores Roach. Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, head writer. And it's uh, they're in production right now in Toronto. They went to a full season order. Are they in Toronto now? They're there already? Uh, maybe he was just let location scouting or something. But they've been, I mean, they're in production. They're in production. Oh, sure. I just saw him last week oh, or two weeks ago when I was in Palm Springs. Oh, when you were in L.A., yeah. I saw we love him. Aaron. So happy. God, can you find someone who wants to work with Aaron Way already? <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, Aaron Mark's spoken for us, so I can I can help you. It's so difficult from here in Melbourne, I tell you that, because is it doesn't matter what talents I've got or what work I've put out in the world. Finding someone to collaborate with that will do their end of the work and be reliable and show up. Oh my God, it is, it's a struggle. It really is. And I just keep hearing everyone else is collaborating on this and collaborating on it. I'm like, oh, what about me? <laughs> Cause I, I just think of what I could achieve. I did this podcast from my bedroom with nothing and- We showed up on time. So that's what you should be celebrating. Here we are collaborating with you. There, celebrate that. Yes absolutely blessed i do it every day celebrate that and evan is a great collaborator i was not referring to him there but anyways no thank you let's see i've come to the end of my questions because there was another one that you both pretty much answered anyway so but yes no thank you so much where can people find you on the social medias i am ben rimmelauer across all of them facebook instagram twitter I'm Alison Frazier on Twitter and uh, Facebook, Alison Frazier, and then the Alison Frazier on Instagram, because apparently there's another Alison Frazier out there that took my name before I got to. How dare they? I know. <laughs> there's another Aaron Ware, too. He writes self-help books. Well, the other Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Mark is a... Um, Oh, a German porn star. Porn star. Right. <laughs> oh, really? See, I would rather that. I, I would rather a porn star have my name than someone who claims that they can help you make $5 million from nothing. Oh, that's sad. Maybe you should call yourself not that, Aaron. <laughs> it must be like, what, 4 o'clock in the morning now. Ben, lovely to see you. You're so handsome. You two, both of you. Oh, you're gorgeous. That's how I would always introduce you. I'd, I'd introduce you as handsome Ben Rimmelauer. I'm going to copy that for my for my own projects. <laughs> Just Allison, beautiful, sultry voice. Well, I do. I was Ivana Trump in the audiobook. I just want you to know. I, I don't doubt it. You're hotter than she is by a mile. <laughs> I thought you were saying that to me, that I'm like, I'm not hotter than Allison. Thank you, but I'll take it anyways. You're hotter than Ivana Trump. Excuse me. I told you you looked like Freddie Mercury. What the hell else do you want? Jesus. No, I know. And, and I've got a date tonight, Alison. <laughs> you know what you've just done to my confidence there? Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, it's a huge thanks to Ben and Alison for joining us. If you're interested in reading my body sex comedy, go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash look, and you'll find it there under sluts on broadway don't panic about the name it has a point but let's not spoil that so go check that out it is hopefully funny and crazy and silly but also poignant also comment like subscribe all that jazz go follow ben and allison look up their albums on spotify and apple music youtube whatever francine lefrac get your credit off 
the falsettos albums that'll be really cool and what would also be really cool is you take care and we shall see you next time it's been great Lindemann or Lindemann? Lindemann. Lindemann? Lindemann. Lindemann. Okay, yep. Lindemann. There's no R. Lindemann. But you, you do say the Lindemann. D. Lindemann. Oh, yeah, I'm putting an R in it. Yeah. You are so, putting an R. Lindemann. Yeah, no, it's Lindemann. Or do you not even pronounce the E? Would it be Lindemann? Lindemann. No, it would be Lindemann. Lindemann. Yeah, okay. Lindemann. Anyway, Till Lindemann. Till Lindemann. Uh, what, oh, God, I cannot... Get it in my head. Herzolide. That's it, isn't it? Herzolide, yeah. Herzolide. Oh, it just keeps popping out. I'll remember it for about five minutes and then it's gone again. Herzolide, minor heavy. Herzolide. What's mine heavy? That's the sequel. Herzolide, minor heavy. Okay. Herzolide, mm-hmm. minor heavy. Oh, for God's sake. Fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) That took about three goes to get that. I thought that's what you were saying. Yeah, I'm putting that in the episode because that was hilarious. How did you not get that? No, I didn't. I'm like, hang on. What was the name of the next album? It certainly wasn't uh, Minor Heavy. No. Oh, for God's sake.